0: Hi, I'm Rochelle Jackson. Welcome to The Crime Couch. I'm an investigative journalist and true crime author, and I know who's who in the zoo, the crims, the cops, and the interesting individuals in between. So get comfy and join me each week on The Crime Couch for a rollicking Intriguing tale. It'll be one heck of a journey. George Haitley is a former Victoria Police Special Operations Group tactical team leader. He worked in the job for 18 years, including in the St Kilda Special Duties, the Major Crime Squad, and the Protective Security Groups. Since leaving Victoria Police, George has established a security consulting and investigation business. He's worked in close personal protection for many visiting rock and roll celebrities, dignitaries and VIPs. Today, he's a director of Brion Defence Systems, who provide equipment and technology to law enforcement agencies around Australasia. And it's a real pleasure to have George back on the crime couch. Welcome, George.
1: Glad to be back, Rochelle. Thank you.
0: In our last interview, we were talking about you joining the Major Crime Squad. This squad had quite a reputation, did it live up to this?
1: Yeah, look, their uh, logo was a cross, shotgun, and uh, sledgehammer. So saying that, uh, often uh, we'd we'd t- go in pretty heavy and um, and really mean what we were about to do. Uh, I remember w- one funny thing I've got to say while I think of it. Um, Myself and an elderly detective uh, uh, were following some crooks with the surveillance unit, and eventually we decided to um, uh, enter their premises because they'd been doing burgs all night. Burglaries all night, and uh, we'd got a couple of uh, uniform blokes to back us up. Uh, we knocked on the door, on the door, and when this door opened, uh, this guy was looking at a clear view of my. 12 gauge shotgun barrel and they immediately dropped to the ground, I sounded 10 foot tall when I yell out, please drop on the ground and you know put your hands up, whatever and uh, when we walked in, there were three guys all of them you know, 6263, big blokes steroids, the whole thing uh, we turned the lights on and um, handcuffed them and they looked up and they couldn't believe it it was me, which was about the same height as a shotgun, standing up, and uh, uh, this elderly detective, and a couple of uniformed blokes at the back, and they just they just shook their heads, and they said, "We can't believe this." You know? So it was, you know, it was heavy-handed uh, tactics, but it was um, we
0: followed through. Yeah. You're involved in the Russell Street uh, bombing, weren't you? What um, part did you play in that? Wasn't involved exactly
1: uh, initially. It was uh, Easter Eve 1986, to be precise, and I um, was at the Major Crime Squad working with a very um, uh, famous detective sergeant, Brian Murphy. And typical with Brian, you didn't know where you were going to be at any one time, but he said, I've got to go meet my brother Brendan at 1 o'clock, who was a barrister, lovely, lovely guy, Brendan, at the steps of the Melbourne Magistrates Court. Now, the bomb went off at 1 o'clock, precisely at 1 o'clock. So we were supposed to be there, but typically Brian was talking to an informant in Fitzroy. There was a big protest at the U.S. Embassy, a lot of carrying on over the airwaves. And next thing, there was all this commotion and carrying on. And I thought, Jesus, and someone said, the bomb gone off. And I thought, wow, at the U.S. Embassy. Well, it wasn't. It was at outside uh, Russell Street. And uh, we went back, but we stayed clear because it was that much... Not chaos, but a lot of congestion, a lot of things happening best for us to stay away. But it wasn't until uh, later that I got involved uh, when I went to the SAG, And um, one, of the, one of our tasks, I didn't like it that much, actually, but was witness protection. We'd go off for a week or so with a, uh, uh, you know, a crown witness and uh, protect them. And I looked, I looked after a couple of people from that era. Uh, Jason Ryan was one of the main witnesses that I looked after. Uh, he, he was a um, witness to the Wall Street murders. So, um,
0: but, yeah. You also met the gangland heavyweight Laurie Pendergast. Uh, how did that come about, George, and what were your impressions of him?
1: Look, uh, he's, he,
0: I met a lot of criminals,
1: good, bad or otherwise, and, and it was an amazing thing. You'd get a real rapport with some criminals, and amazingly, like I can remember their middle names, which, which I can't remember my close relatives' middle names sometimes. <laughs> but um, you'd get these reports, and and they were good because they'd open up, and they they'd look at you and say, "I'm, I'm not, I'm not a uh, a fizz or anything like that." But you might want to talk this bloke about this or, or whatever. And um, Laurie Prendergast was a seas- seasoned criminal. He'd been part pall- great bookie robbery. Uh, it's alleged he, he killed a, um, you know, a couple of people. Uh, and he was on one side of the camp in the criminal world. And um, anyway, we, we went out to his house, I think it was out at uh, or someplace, sort of bushland area, and um, did a raid. And as a result, uh, I got to talk to him, got to know him over a short period of time, and uh, even gave us a tip or two for the races. I didn't bet, but... My sergeant didn't put a bit of money on it. They all won, so it was funny. But um, he uh, had, a bit, uh, had a bit to do with him, but then eventually disappeared, and it was alleged uh, that someone had seen him going to pick up his kids from school, and this criminal was visiting a couple of doors up and, and just so happened to see him, and the next thing uh, they set off a couple of days later, Grabbed him, took him up the bush, and, and it's and a guy that's in was involved in the uh, Russell Street bombing. Uh, won't mention his name, but it's alleged that he was one of the people took him up the bush, tied from the gas to a tree, and then and, and then disemboweled him, and um, and killed him. So yeah, you run into these people, and uh, and,
0: and it's a it's a very ruthless, cruel uh, world they live in. You joined this special operations group, or the SOG, in 1986, I think. Yep. What attracted you to this elite unit? Did you ask to join or did you have to prove yourself to get in?
1: Combination of everything, really. I didn't think... I remember when the SAG first started up in 1977 as a result of the um, Hilton bombing in Sydney. And uh, Mick Miller and his... Wisdom, who was just the best commissioner of all time uh, in the world. And um, he st- he started it up and uh, and all former military people joined. And I just didn't think that I was cut out for that. But uh, the SAG took Major Crime Squad for a shoot one time, uh, a qualifying shoot. You'd do once a year sort of thing at the time. Uh, shoot a bit of paper target. And one of them said, oh, you're not a bad shot, Hately. And I thought, I'll keep that in mind and um, next thing I was looking through the Gazette because I was about to go for promotion so when you leave the squads or the detective uh, area and go for promotion you've got to go back to uniform and start again work your way back up and I thought how am I going to do this I don't really want to go back to uniform Um, and I saw this invitation to apply for the SAG. I thought why not and I'll give it a go and um, see how I go, you know this bloke felt I was not a bad shot so and I'm reasonably fit. And um, so I thought I'd try it out. So I really decided from that moment to um, start training seriously. So I put my police ID and wallet in a plastic bag and uh, ran home. And that time I was working at St Kilda Road and I lived out at Tullamarine. So um, I got right into it, did a lot of running, did uh, a lot of exercise, swimming and uh, running around, uh, trying to emulate what was expected of me during the training course, ran around um, the streets in GP boots and crazy things like that. Eventually, I got into the SOG course, and uh, day one, the uh, introduction, a bit of theory, and and just about every day you'd end up in a PT session. And I thought, oh, that's not too bad. So I decided to run home again from a location... Which was uh, in the uh, near the city, so I ran home, and, and as I ran off, the, I didn't know, but the instructors saw me run off and thought, "What's this, smarty doing?" You know. So they went and checked where I lived and thought, "Right." Uh, and at the time, I still lived out in the northern suburbs, and uh, ran home, and actually got lost that night because I didn't really realise how far away I was. But got yeah. home and I had a bath and some salts and. Um, rocked up the next day, and they said, Oh, Hayley, I've um, oh, no. got a PT session for you today. And, uh, and they, they uh, run me into the ground until they ran me into the ground. And that was quite funny. But every Friday afternoon, they'd have a, an exhaustion uh, PT session, and they didn't care how fit you were. they just keep, uh, you know, 50 uh, sit-ups, 50 push-ups. Good. We'll start again. You didn't do those ones right. So they just run you into the ground and, and um, wear you out. So it was a bit of fun. Yeah.
0: George, you're the master of understatement. What was the culture like in the SOG?
1: Interesting you say that because uh, I had a bit to do with some... Uh, former uh, son-in-law of mine was uh, in the AFL and he said a similar thing. Sort of thing in an elitist group, which AFL is, and the Special operation Group is, can be a lot of bitchy little schoolgirls sometimes, and um, and that's through boredom or in the AFL losing matches or whatever. But in the SAG, you'd go for times where you'd be very busy, and then sometimes you wouldn't be that busy, and you get a bit bored, and uh, things get bitchy. So, but look, overall, it, the guys in there, uh, it was a very very tight group. Uh, we worked very well together, um, looked after each other's back and um, and, and trained hard and, and worked very hard.
0: What did you learn about yourself?
1: Look, one of the things I remember at the end of the SAG course, one of the PT instructors came in and said, um, we, we treated you pretty hard. And it was a very physically hard course. At the, when I did my course, it changed after that. Mine, of course, was the toughest course out of all the courses. Um, but. He said to me, oh, well, he said to the group, what we did, we took you to your limit and showed you there was a beyond. So I remember doing sit ups, push ups, and they'd ask for one more and then you could go home. And, and FedEng, everyone would find that one more and then they'd want another one after that. But that was their, their idea, that was the, the culture of the place to take you to your limit and then find that you can actually go
0: harder, further. Uh, And that's what we end up doing. How has this SOG training and being in such an elite unit changed you, George? Like, do you think it impacted on you forever? Definitely. uh, In
1: business, it's been a fantastic help. Um, You know, you you hear the never-give-up attitude. Well, that's, you're just um, very persistent, very thorough. Um, meticulous in a lot of ways that uh, the SAG demands you to be. Um, you know, we we're talking previously b- before this interview and uh, about fueling cars up. We'd pull up into the uh, our parking spot, but before we do that, we'd go to the fuel bowser and fill up. Uh, our kits were always packed perfectly. Uh, we were ready at any time. And we'd get a call out, and it might be a call out from home or whatever. We'd have a full tank of fuel. Everyone, all our kit would be there. It was all meticulous, and I've carried that on in in business, and I'm ready all the time, uh, ready for to deliver product that I supply the police and military now. So um, it's been good, yeah.
0: great. George, when you're in the SOG, you're involved in the bombing of the Turkish embassy. How did that job come across your desk?
1: Yeah, look, it was very early in the group. Uh, one of the bomb techs said, oh, we'll take you out to the post-blast scene at the Turkish embassy. And um, what it was was... Uh, I'm trying to think of the terrorist, the terrorist group. but Armenian. Yeah, there was a, a, a an argument going back, you know, a century or so between the Armenians and the Turks. And I think the Turks try to wipe the Armenians out and the Armenians still uh, are bitter about it. So one or a few took it upon themselves to um, uh, take a car bomb into the car park area under the embassy and and it was going to be set off for, I think, Monday morning. Slight problem because the guy had put a mercury tilt switch in the device that he'd made up in the IED. And a mercury tilt switch is... uh, It's it's, uh, a circuit that uh, is completed when you tilt the mercury switch so that mercury goes to the two wires to complete the circuit. Well, he apparently, it's suggested by the forensics and and, uh, so forth, that he was sitting on the seat where the bomb was and he armed it. Well, when he moved, it tilted the switch and he... Forgotten about that part of it. He hadn't listened very carefully when he was briefed, I suppose. So all that was left of him was a foot, his right foot, that was sitting under the floor sill on the on the on, in the car park area. But the rest of him was all, as they pointed out, look up in the roof and the walls, and all these little bits of charred remnants of a human uh, splattered around the uh, whole car park. But the interesting part of it was the forensics found part of his pants, which had his wallet in, which was embedded in the concrete, and it had a bus ticket in it. And that led back to a uh, bit of good uh, detective work, and he was. they found out who he was, how he got there, and he's from Sydney and went to his family, and they said, um, uh, your former husband... Um, Found him and they denied it to, the, to this day, I think. Uh, there were a lot of tears and carrying on, um, but yeah, it was interesting. A uh, bit of uh, investigation work and, and forensic work and, um, and post blast scene was incredible. Mm.
0: Extraordinary job, and, and what a bizarre scenario where a bus ticket embedded in a concrete leads to mm. further investigative work and, and eventually charges, I'm assuming.
1: Uh, Well, they couldn't charge him. He'd he'd gone. But, um, (laughs) uh, look, all that, even with the Russell Street bombing, it was fascinating, the detective work that found those people. And, um, you know, we're talking, they put the bomb back together for the the Russell Street bombing. Uh, They found bits and pieces and put it back together. Mm. And um, they married up uh, a lump of wood that was taken off a fence post at one of the crooks' homes, Uh, saw tooth marks in the wood. They found the saw. Uh, a clip uh, of a metal rubbish bin. They found the bin. You know, it goes on and on and on. And um, but you know, it's just all about good detective work. And with the SAG, we might have seemed like all we did was you know break down doors and things like that. But a lot of the work we did, we worked in with the detectives, and in some cases uh, forensic scientists, and uh, and and it was a very interesting part of my career because I'd been a detective, I'd been to the surveillance unit I'd been to different things and it was worked up to this stage where I'd go down and talk to the different squads trying to encourage them to use us and they'd say oh yeah but you just you know, break things down and so forth and but with that knowledge and experience we married up a lot of things and we got some really good results for the detectives um, who got us to do the, their jobs yeah we knew what to look for in a lot of cases.
0: How important was reconnaissance before the raids? Like some of the raids you did on the outlaw motorcycle gangs, how important was it to get sort of reconnaissance done and to get an idea of the place and the layout, et cetera, before you before you got access?
1: Extreme. So important and so much fun um, because it was a game of cat and mouse a lot of times. Um, I remember doing a job once and I had two other SAG guys with me. We went up to Mildura and uh, I don't know if anyone's walked around in the backdrops of Mildura, but you walk around and uh still night and you could hear a, a bird you know, rustling in the tree. It was so quiet this particular night. But every time I walked, I had these runners on and the other two guys you know what are you doing? It was squeaking. This sand was squeaking. They just didn't like my runners. <laughs> so I took my uh, socks off, put them over the runners and uh, made them a bit more quiet. So I'm getting closer and closer to this target house and we've split up. we all got radios on and um, I'm on my hands and knees in between the vine uh, rows and I've got up really close to the back door and next thing I hear this dog you know, come out and he's trying to warn his owner inside that the coppers are out here, you know, sneaking around your property. You know how a dog will bark naturally or when there's something going on. Mm. So I've backed up a couple of rows and I've got my trusty five-shot Smith & Wesson, my reconnaissance weapon, which is, you know, not real flashed. When the bloke that was inside suddenly comes outside with his... uh, Chinese assault rifle and a torch looking up and down the roads. Well, we got taught in the early days in the SAG, whatever you do, don't move. No matter how lit up you get, just don't move because um, it's like when you go rabbiting, uh, you don't see a rabbit until it moves. And um, <laughs> I didn't move. And um, he went. eventually went back inside. And it was a couple of days later when we actually did the raid where We found the assault rifle next to him in bed and his his, uh, female partner on the other side, he hadn't worn any clothes to bed. But we dragged him out of the uh, bed and she wasn't too um, worried about the fact that she was naked. She was more worried about trying to kill us because she was reaching for the gun as well. She fought like crazy. We handcuffed her and it turned out that uh, she'd... It was a pretty long-involved investigation... They'd been doing armed robberies and killing people and, and drugs and the whole thing, and she'd actually cut some bloke's the drug dealer's throat and so the nasty pieces of work. But you talk about re- reconnaissance and what we try and do is paint a picture because we all, when we did these raids we all couldn't go and look at the particular target house or premises, so we'd make sure that when we do take guys up to the front door, back door or, or alternative point of entry, uh, we'd be able to tell them through infrared photographs or uh, our description of what the premises looked o- look like so that you'd, ent- you'd come up, there'd be two steps to the front porch, the door would be there, it'd be a security door, hinge to the left, two hinges, locks on the right. You'd have to open that up Uh, and then the main door would be glass and and handle. An alternative point of entry would be the window next door, something like that. So we'd paint a real picture. So I'd go back uh, with the other guys, plan the job, and then do a briefing, you know, one or two o'clock in the morning, and take the guys all through it. And I remember sometimes that guys had come up that had never been there, that we took them on the road, and they said, we felt so at ease, so comfortable, because we... We knew that we met at a certain rendezvous point. We'd go to a form up point. We'd go to a move off point, and at each stage the guys, well, I'm here. That's exactly what George had told me to expect. We'd go up the garden path and be tapped to the right because nothing worse worse walking up in the dark and run your shin into a, a a garden tap. And I'd tell you know you'd tell them that sort of thing. So that was part of the reconnaissance. Um, and I remember going on a a very funny one where we did a bikies clubhouse and uh, when we did a drive past in a a covert vehicle in the daytime this thing had iron bars and steel shutters and railway sleepers and railway line welded in the concrete and the whole thing it was just fortified buggery. So myself and a couple other guys went there for a couple of nights trying to work out how to get in this place quickly and efficiently and um, we eventually waited for the last bikey that we assumed that was in there to, to leave so we got quite active and this was a uh, slightly different factory uh, area and um, there was a bit of a gap between factories so we eventually thought well we've got no other option here we've got to get across so we eventually got across from factory to factory we are on the roof and we was having to sneak around and thought jeez and there's a skylight there so I gone up the skylight and looked at it, and, and we just lifted it off, and we d- dropped in to the main mezzanine floor, and we got around and went through and checked out everything, took photographs, and it was quite funny. We were right in the in their in their cave, and um, and then got out, come back and and show the guys at a briefing, and people just laughed. They said, "Oh God, how did you do that?" And I said, "It was just you don't give up. You look at every option, and." amazingly there's always a way in you know um yeah so it was it was funny they wouldn't wouldn't have been too happy especially if they're listening to this now but uh
0: (laughs) that we got in i love the fact you've it teaches you to become so lateral in your thought process and and yeah i can see how that's really made an impact on you and and how you use it day to day even in your business um well george look we've barely even touched the surface i've I know you've been involved in a couple of... Uh, I know you're involved in the Wall Street shooting as well as a couple of fatal shootings. So um, I think rather than uh, finish uh, and continue, we'll, we'll definitely come back for another time. But, uh, look, thanks very much, George, for sitting with me again on the crime couch and uh, we'll uh, come back another day. Bit of fun. Thank you. Thanks for joining me. I'm Rochelle Jackson, and I look forward to your company next time on The Crime Cage.